Our scripture reading this morning will come from Psalm 73, verses 25 through 28. It's in the Pew Bible, it's on page 518, if you wish to read along. Page 518, Psalms 73, verses 25 through 28. <clears throat> Whom have I, I will be reading from the King James. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring thee, from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Good morning. It is good to see each of you again. We welcome you if you're a guest. Uh, it encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's good to see the group from Greenville and Augusta. It is an encouragement of what you've done uh, the last few days, and we hope that we can build upon that and that we can continue to reach out into those communities and not only help them with physical needs that they have, but we hope that the kingdom will be increased because of the good that's being done uh, by this group and others. We had a sixth through eighth grade team to go out also on Friday, and we've had several of you to go out each day of the week. And keep in mind that there are teams going out Monday through Saturday and on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, there's even evening teams going out. And so if you want to go in after work, you can do that on those days. The best thing to do is to contact us in advance if you know that you're planning on doing that. And that way we can plan the work better and also tell you where to meet the team. Uh, but be thinking about a, a day or a weekend or a few days that you can help sometime this month. And let's all make sure that we go out there and we do what we can do to make a difference in the Lord's kingdom. It is encouraging to know that our Chile team is back home with such a wonderful, wonderful report. Uh, there were at least 15 baptisms, and there may be a few more from the last report I heard. I, I'll try to give you a very definite and accurate count uh, tonight, but we are thankful for the homes that they were able to help construct, for the benevolent good that was done, and obviously for those that were brought to Christ. And we're thankful for the families here that sacrificed having a part of your family gone uh, the past eight or nine days. And for those of you that have gone, we're thankful that you're back home safely, and God's allowed us to be a part of that earthquake relief. Also, as already mentioned, we probably have 25 or 30 already at camp right now. It's the ones that are leading the camp. They're preparing and getting things in order for whenever the 115 campers arrive today. That's the largest camp we've ever had. And uh, as already, let's continue to be prayerful about every aspect of camp, but especially that our youth will grow closer to God. And Something just over the horizon that we have always been, or at least for the last 10 years, have been excited about in this congregation, and we want to uh, continue to be excited about reaching souls, and that is our stateside campaign. It's the last week in July. This year is a little bit different. It's in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and we're joining up with other churches, and there will literally be probably over 200 campaign workers, and the meeting each night will be held in a coliseum there in Parkersburg, West Virginia. 
And so we need all of the usual workers and we need even additional newer workers. And so if you know nothing about this and want to learn about it, Mike Keeby will be leading this campaign from the Mount Juliet standpoint. He will be at the information center today. Go by there and talk with him, ask him questions. And if you need more information, he will be able to provide that for you as well as knowledge that on June the 19th will be a training session for this particular work. Now, if you can't make that June 19th, we can do additional training, but just know that, that already there's a need for commitment. There's also a need to, to know if you're going to be able to make it to that training date and etc. Be praying about this. It's exciting to think what 200 campaign workers could do in one town over about a seven or eight day period of time. And so we're excited to be invited to be a part of that. And we look forward to seeing the good eternally that will come out of that. Are you open? We've been asking that question all year now. It's hard to believe that we're beginning the sixth month already of asking that question. Are you open? I always think about backyard football when I hear that phrase. That's the first thing that pops in my mind. It's, it's outrunning the coverage and yelling to your quarterback, I'm open, I'm open. And so we've been asking this question all year, are you open? Is your heart open to the will of God? Are you open to growing? We talked about last month, are you open to greater stewardship? And we talked a whole lot about trust because we'll all be good stewards if we trust God. But that leads us to this month's topic. Are you open to God? Are you open to learning more about God? You see, the better you know God, the more you'll love Him. And so maybe somebody here this morning says, you know, I want a relationship with God and I want to love God, but I'll be honest with you. I always feel distant. I don't seem to ever be able to draw close to God. My prayer, my fervent prayer, and I hope it becomes your prayer, is that every member of this congregation by the end of June We'll all be closer to God because we're going to study and we're going to give our attention to knowing God better throughout a series of lessons this month. Are you open to knowing God better? Because the better you and I know Him, the greater and the more that we could possibly love Him. And what an exciting thing. You see, the truth is, Knowing God has so much to do with so much of who we are, who this church family is, even who this community and who this nation and this world is. I'd like to read to you a quote from A.W. Tozier, Out of the Knowledge of the Holy is the name of the book. And he says, The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base, as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God Himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Do you realize your understanding of God defines what you believe is right and wrong? 
Your understanding of God defines what you believe you ought to be as an individual. Your understanding of God defines what you believe that the church ought to be. Your understanding of God defines what you believe that a nation ought to be. Do you realize that everything that matters goes back to your understanding of God? I remember sitting around the table. There were about eight quote, religious leaders sitting around this table. We were sitting with a congressman from our area and he asked us to, to bring concerns to the table of what he would want us to, to let him know that would be on his mind when he's on the floor at Congress. And this was back probably about 15 years ago. And it is when there were some very hot issues on homosexuality. And so naturally that became a part of, of the discussion. And so the religious leaders were asking him, stand strong, don't give in to this. And then he said, I want to begin by letting you know, I agree. And if you've seen how I voted, you know that I stand strong on the issues you're asking me to stand strong. But he says, now I want to give a challenge back to you men that fill the pulpit. Keep in mind, it wasn't the government that gave in to homosexuality first. It was the pulpits that gave in to homosexuality first. And he said something I'll never forget. You can't expect a nation to rise above what is taught in her pulpits. Let that one sink in. Whenever a nation like America stop teaching in the 80s and the 90s that homosexuality was, was sin and instead they openly embraced homosexuality? Is it any surprise that after that, the nation began to embrace homosexuality? Friends, your understanding of God forms your religion and our understanding of religion has a huge impact on our nation. And you take a proper understanding of God away and you have an improper standard that creates a nation that then we scratch our head and say, why is it going in the wrong direction? Friends, I don't know during this month how excited you'll become about this study. Not because the lessons are so dynamic, but I hope and pray that the longer we go in this study this month, the deeper and more genuine your excitement becomes for this study, the opportunity to study the Almighty God. Because in that, it touches everything. When we consider the text that was just so capably read, it's interesting that it begins there in Psalm 73 at the third division in the book of Psalms. If you look back at the beginning of your 73rd chapter, your Bible probably says something to that. And then, but what we notice here in Psalm 73 is that we notice it's that age-old argument by the time we come into the third verse, why are wicked people prospering? It looks like God would take care of the righteous. It's the shrug of the shoulders, the throwing up the hands. Where's God in all of this? And we see almost a little atheistic uh, uh, push or plea here describing the wicked in verse 11 when it says, And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? You hear that? If there really is an Almighty God, do, do you really, really think He's Almighty? Do you really, really think that He's all-knowing? Come on now. 
And so now the righteous bring themselves in verse 17 until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. In other words, here we see this movement of thought. We see this wrestling. How do the wicked think? Why does it look like they're prosper? How are the righteous going to comprehend this? What are they going to do with all this? How are they going to deal with this? And we come to verse 17 and the righteous says, I tell you how I get my mind wrapped around all this. I tell you how I settle it. Whenever I feel like things are falling apart in my mind and I just can't put it all together, I go to the sanctuary. I go to God's gathering place of God's people. And I listen to the preaching and the teaching on God. And he says, then I start to understand things better. Please grasp that fact. Anytime you and I cease to understand God, we find ourselves perplexed. The better we understand God, the more we will understand our very own lives and the purpose for which we live. And that brings us to the text that was read this morning in verse 25 when finally the righteous are going to say that in heaven there's one that they love, it's the Almighty God, and their desire even on this earth is for the Almighty God. But then we see that contrast in verse 27 where he says that you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Perhaps this is symbolism to say that You've left the God that you were married to for another God. And, and so it's, it's adultery. You, you committed, uh, you've gone into a relationship of harlotry with other gods spelt with a little g. But then it could be very literal because God told them to destroy the Canaanites. And they didn't destroy the Canaanites. And a big part of their religion was idolatrous practices that embraced temple prostitutes. And we know from prophecy that the Israelites were engaging in their worship with temple prostitutes. That's what's strongly implied. And so this may literally be a reference to that to say, you've left the Almighty God for harlotry. But the point is, there's got to be something better than this, than this confused way of living, this lowering of morality and standards. What would cause someone to be able to say, I know what is right. I know the purpose in my life. I'm not confused right now. I'm not perplexed. I can live with purpose. I would say that every one of us here want to know that. We want to believe that there's a reason God gave us life and that we can make a difference for good on this earth. We want to believe that when we breathe our last breath, that there is something wonderful that's waiting for us in the the realm of living in an eternity with God. Do you want to know that? What's the answer to that? That's what's led all the way to this very last verse. And I'd like for you to look at this last verse in 28. But it is good for me. It's good for me and you. It is good for me to do what? To draw near to God. I've put my what? Trust in the Lord God. That I may do what? Declare all your work. Friends, there's nothing better than we'll do with our life than to draw near to God. And when we draw near to God, you can't draw near to someone you don't know. There are over 6 billion people on this earth that you're not close to them. You don't have a relationship with them. And you don't have a relationship with them because you don't know them. You don't interact with them. Then if I were to say to you, give me a list of the 10 people that you're the closest to them. You have the closest relationship with them. That would be 10 people that you know them well. You communicate with them. You interact with them. The question is, do you want to know God? 
Here the psalmist says, draw near to God. In other words, the invitation is God wants a relationship with you. God wants you to know Him. He knows you. He wants to communicate with you. He's already started communicating with you. The question is, will you listen? Will you respond back in obedience? Will you communicate to Him in prayer? Draw near to Him. God's doing everything that He can do to be close to you. The question is, will you be close to Him? If we will, we'll trust Him. We will trust God if we know Him. And then you know what we will not be able to help but do? We will have to tell others of His good works. When we come to know the power of God, and we put our life in His hands and we trust it, we will just naturally. It'll be a part of conversation. It'll be part of heart talk. It'll be what we love the most and what we love to talk about because we've drawn near to Him. You know, as we think about all of this, it perhaps for many here this morning, and I understand this may not be true for everyone here this morning, but for many of us, we hear these kind of passages. It's kind of comforting. It is comforting. It's informative in things that we love to learn about. But we also must face reality that this world is not full of individuals that believe that same way. Instead, writings from men like Freud have had quite an impact upon this world. Sigmund Freud said in a book entitled The Future of an Illusion, he said that it was man that created God, not God who created man. I'd like to read to you a quote out of this book of his. He says, man so desperately needs security and because he has such deep-seated fears and because he lives in a threatening world in which he has very little control over his circumstances, he invented, and that should be a little g there, God, to get him out when he needed something. You see, his reasoning is based primarily on, on three things that he says. If you look at the nature of man, you'll see why weak People depend upon their imagination that there is a God. First, he says, there's so much that happens in this world that cannot be predicted. Earthquakes, disease, things that, he says, man fears and wants to believe that there is a power greater than these things so that when everything is going wrong, their God can swoop in and he can take care of things that's Man is not powerful enough to take care of. So he says, that's why man invented God. A second thing that he said was man doesn't trust man. They believe that man gives each other a raw deal. And so there needs to be a time where all of the accounts will be settled. And so he says, because man believes that, man decided to invent God in their mind to believe that one day God will settle all accounts. He says a third reason that man invented God was because... Man was fearful of death. Man was fearful of becoming non-existent. The idea that after you breathe your last breath, man wanted to believe, and this is Freud's words, that there would be a happy place. That there would be something beyond this earth that would be a reward. Friends, I'm sure some of our collegiate students maybe even some of our high school students, you sit in classrooms and you've heard the teachings and maybe even the mockery about how it is the weak-minded 
human beings that have invented a God. And those who are strong, they don't need to lean upon such figments of people's imagination. Is that the case? Is it the case that it's in our weakness that we've imagined a God that would simply bring us comfort? Did God make man or did man make God? In the picture that you see here on the screen, the lower picture on the left, you see a man who is of the Hindu religion. And he literally, for one of their festivals, he's making a God in that picture. Now think about that for a moment. Is that really what we've done? Is we've said we need someone to depend upon. And so maybe even though we don't have a structure, we don't have an idol that we say, that's him right there. He's carved out of that rock. He's carved out of that stone. Have we done that? Have we created a God in our imagination? Let me pause here and try to give something of conviction to you. If you don't read the Word of God so that you can really know God, you've done exactly what He said. How serious do you take your responsibility to know the Almighty God? You're very similar to the lower left-hand picture there. If your idea is, oh, I'm, I'm sure there's a God and I'm sure He made me and, and, and everything's well. What do you know about God? How deeply have you studied God? And we don't know anything of God if we are willing to be negligent of what God says about Himself. So I hope you embrace the study this month. The challenge that all of us surely can know more of God. And in that, we can draw closer to God. You see, the fact is, it's not just a struggle that mankind has tried to create their own gods. But I believe that before mankind tries to create their own God, and I'll show you from Scripture in just a moment why I say this, I believe that our desire is first to just do away with God. For example, in Genesis, the third chapter, when we see sin entering into the Garden of Eden, what did Adam and Eve do? Did they immediately say, oh, I'm tired of this God. I tell you what I'm going to do. Before he can even pass through, we're ashamed of our nakedness right now. We're going to create for us an idol that says nakedness is good. And so the almighty God is going to say that nakedness is a sin, but we're going to have an idol that says it's good. And so we're going to embrace this idol and we're going to feel good about ourselves. It doesn't move to that point, does it? Societies don't leave the almighty God and create an idol in one step. Well, what's the step between those two steps? The step between is huge in understanding. And it's the idea that says, I don't want to be around God at all. What did Adam and Eve do in Genesis 3rd chapter and verse 10? When they heard the voice of God, they hid. In other words, in a sense, they were wanting to eliminate God out of their life. Maybe if we can just hide in this garden, we won't have to deal with God. Maybe God will go away. I'm ashamed, I'm humbled, and I don't like this feeling. And so maybe I can get rid of God. And if I get rid of God, I can feel good about myself, even though I'm in sin. It's the same thing that is taught in Romans, the first chapter. Look over in Romans, the first chapter. In Romans, the first chapter, in verse 21, notice it begins by saying they knew God. 
Notice they knew God, but then what's the very next phrase? They did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And he continues to write on that eventually in 23 and 24, eventually they moved to idolatry. But notice the move wasn't straight from knowing God to idolatry. The move was, let's know God. Let's stop glorifying Him as God. I'm tired of giving Him credit. I'm tired of giving him honor. You want me to show up and worship him? I don't want to worship God. Neither are we thankful. You want me to get, say that all these that's good in my life, to him be the glory. You want me to be grateful to God for what he's given. I don't want to be grateful for God. See, it's a move away. But what's interesting is there's always a hunger within mankind for a God. So as man moves away from the Almighty God, eventually the nature of man is to come back around and say, okay, I've moved away from the Almighty, but I still want a God. And so that's when man begins to form their own God as idols. Look, if you will, in verse 28, we see the very same type of language here. And this is now not just the lowering of God to idolatrous worship, but now by the time we get to verse 28, he's lowered the morality of the Almighty God to immorality, which in this particular passage here we're reading is about homosexuality. And look in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to the base mind to do the things which are not fitting. So, so what, how did they get to this point of immorality? We don't want to keep God in our mind. Wait, are you telling me you want to build an idol? No, I'm just telling you I don't want God in my mind. So you see, our problem in our human nature is not just the idea that we immediately want to search for our own version of God. But our very first thing is, I feel guilt. I feel ashamed. And I feel like my will is not being accomplished. And so to do what I want to do without feeling guilty, I need to leave God behind. Where does that leave us? You know, when we think about God, it leaves us with a need, if you will, to prove that there is a God. Let me tell you where we're going to go tonight. On this next slide, you see these proofs. Let's go to the next. You see these proofs that God exists. We're going to come back tonight, and by no means is this going to be our lesson. We can make an entire lesson about each one of these very easily. It's literally just going to be the introduction tonight. And we're going to spend time on knowing, number one, through this, that God exists. But then, number two tonight, we're going to ask the question, all right, if God exists, who is He? And we're going to think about, is He one God, or is He three? What does Trinity mean? If I'm really going to know God, I have to have some kind of complete, or at least as complete as God gives us, an understanding of who He is as it relates to the Trinity and the Godhead. And so we'll begin that tonight, and then throughout this month, we'll try to build upon that. But as we close, I'd like for you to think about what Albert Einstein said. He said, yes, we know that there is a cosmic force in the universe but he is unknowable. Isn't that a shame? 
How many individuals are considered with such a brilliant mind, but yet the thing that matters the very most they're ignorant of? This morning, you may have achieved in a lot of ways. You may have more friends on Facebook than anybody else you know. You may have more zeros on your paycheck than anybody else you know. You may have more power in your corporation than anybody else. You may be the most popular person on your street. You may drive your dream vehicle. You may have accomplished so much that you've had to just create a whole new set of goals because you've already fulfilled all the past goals you've ever set. Friends, if you and I leave here without a relationship with God, we have not accomplished anything of true worth. Do you know God? And this morning, if you're ready to make some kind of public commitment to God, we would love to assist you in that. And if you're not ready for that, we hope that your hunger is there, that you're genuine, and that you're going to begin today saying, I'm going to find God. He's not far from any one of us, Acts 17th chapter. But this morning, if we can assist you, our goal is, as a congregation of people, we're God's people. And we are walking from here to heaven. And it's only by the grace of God that we've been given this opportunity. And we simply want to help each other along the way so that we can glorify God in everything that we are. This morning, if you're a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of sins and confess before men that He is the Son of God, are you ready to be immersed into Christ, baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? Maybe you've already done that, and along the way, you've lost the way. Your life doesn't reflect a proper understanding of God. Maybe you're ready to repent. Come back to God. Come back not only verbally, but how you live to who God is. We'd love to pray with you and for you this morning. Let's all take a step closer to God. And if we can help you, come as we stand, as we sing.